Fly and Field Outfitters is a fly shop and guide service located in Bend, Oregon. We specialize in fly fishing the Lower Deschutes River, Cascade Lakes, the Crooked River, the Fall River, and many other fisheries in the area. Tune into our podcast for updates on fishing reports, techniques, tactics, and fishing stories. Thank you for tuning in to our very first podcast. Listen along to Scott Cook and Dave Buchanan as they discuss their recent saltwater outing to Turner Flats in Belize on a group hosted trip through Flyfield Outfitters and Flywater Travel. Uh, Scott Cook, owner and operator here at Flyfield Outfitters in Bend, Oregon. And I'm, I'm Dave Buchanan, I'm from Bend, and I fish with Scott quite a lot. Awesome. Uh, so we're here to talk about a recent trip that you all took. Um, can you tell me where you guys went? We were in Turnit Flats um, in Belize, and uh, yeah, it was a great lodge. Um, Turnit Flats Lodge, excellent guides, and great location, and um, Aside from you and Dave, who else was on the trip? We had what five couples that yeah, four couples four couples and myself um, that went on the trip. Um, some folks here from Bend um, that and none of them had ever been saltwater fishing before, so it was kind of a first time uh, saltwater couples location. Um, and yeah, again, the lodge was awesome. It was a pool. The eco adventures um, aspect of it was was great and uh, I think everybody had a great time. And I think that was that was one of the things that was super nice about it is that you know not it's not one species of fish, it's bonefish and tarpon and permit and other things. But also you know, my wife went um, on the eco adventure and did snorkeling for a couple days and just a nice way to break it up and and when you're there, I mean the reef is it's one of the second second biggest in the world or most diverse. It, it's it's highly regarded, and, and you know the the people in our group that did that, they really enjoyed taking that break um, and just seeing what else is there. So That's yeah, cool. the, I thought that was one of the best parts too. Is the lodge was so well outfitted with um, you know rental equipment and snorkeling equipment and spin fishing and. You know, there are some people that went out and did some trolling for Barracuda for a couple of hours, and uh, all in all, the diversity of what they could offer at that location was just ideal. I'd suggest anybody could go there and, and have, a, have a great trip with family or friends or spouses or whatever. It was a lot of fun. So you could, you could walk walk the flats or in a boat, so I mean that, depending on you know how you're feeling on any given day, you can choose the type of fishing you want. Sweet. Uh, were there days that uh, some of the guys didn't go fishing and spent the days with their spouses, or was it mainly the spouses spending time together and the guys out fishing, or how did that work out? Well, my wife fished, nice. I mean, that was, and that's one of the things I think is why Scott you know, liked this location for us. We're, we're time on the water and, and haven't really fished so much, and we started in the last year uh, getting back into it. And, you know, Cece on the first day, she had... 20 bonefish and wow. another second day that's I think she had another 10. Um, so it, you know that's pretty neat to be able to, to have shots and, and catch fish on a, on a first timer who's you know casting isn't isn't awesome it, but it was good enough to, to have a super productive day and you know it's, it's an 
awesome place. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Her her goal for the trip was to see and make a cast at a bonefish. Not even catch one. <laughs> and then the first day she came back, she's like, I caught 20 or whatever. <laughs> and it was like amazing. Yeah. Uh, but a, a lot of the spouses did fish. Um, there was one gal in the group that opted for the eco adventure package instead of the fly fishing package. Um, and every day they would have a morning session and they'd come back to the lodge, have lunch, and then go out for an afternoon or evening session. And so there was a, and she spent some afternoons kind of around the pool reading or she brought some craft stuff she was doing, you know, and so she wouldn't go out on every single kind of adventure or whatever. But, you know, the, the fly fishing thing was a full day, kind of eight hours out on the water. You took lunch and, and drinks and you went out on the flats and did it. The cool part was the fly fishing guides could also do some snorkeling. So you just take a snorkeling mask and, and some fins in the fly fishing boat. You'd go out and fish for a couple hours. Um, and then if you wanted, you could hop in and, and do some snorkeling too. And boy, it was world-class snorkeling. Everybody that said, I mean, the fishing's, fishing's fishing and it was good. Um, you know, but I thought that was the neatest part about the location anyways. Was and guy that ran that, his name was Abel, uh -huh, and he, he would come in at, uh, at happy hour they'd have for dinner, and he'd have, you know, all of the photos put up, and the, and the people that did the eco uh, tour of the snorkeling, you know, he'd have videos and stuff, and he'd, he'd download it onto their phone so they could take it home with them, and they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah, he had a great underwater yeah. camera, and he really knew how to use he it. He had a loyal audience. Yeah. <laughs> that, they, they, they didn't, sometimes when they do that, my wife, she, I'd see her later that night because she wanted to talk about the day snorkeling and stuff. It was it was uh, really good. That's Both pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Was, that was the best part about the lodge for me. Or the the location was great. The you know the food was great, service was great, customer service, all that stuff. But their attention to detail on some of their adventures and, and some of the stuff like that was was and awesome. It's an action place. You don't you know staying at the hotel during the day and just kicking back. You wouldn't want to do that. That's they've got so many things going on. So it's for you know an active week. So yeah, yeah. They call it an eco adventure lodge. So all day from basically 8 a.m. in the morning till 4 p.m. in the afternoon, everybody's out doing some type of adventure, Sweet, uh, yeah. which is super, yeah. super cool. Yeah. So uh, being the first saltwater trip many people have been on, was there any preparation in advance while you're still in town and that kind of thing to get ready for a saltwater trip? So for me, I'll tell you what my experience was. Um, we've been through fly water travel, and they have an excellent list of, Things do, and so you know Scott discussed that with us and made his adjustments. Um, kind of got everything started, getting stuff ready around the first of the year, I think. It's kind of a Christmas. Is Christmas? Yeah, gifts. yeah Christmas gifts. That was, yeah, that was yeah. my deal. Yeah, yeah, so I needed to get some something under the tree, and I'll I'll take two birds with one stone on that. <laughs> um, and so it was, you know, getting getting prepped and stuff, and then also, you know, being mainly fishing trout or only fishing for trout. You're, you're fishing a, a bigger rod, you know, heavier line, and so we live next to uh, one of the city parks, and we'd go down there and, and cast. My wife and I would, and our son, he liked to join us. And then Scott, you know, did some some other prep of just just practicing and different types of casts and trying to really make sure you can you know, 
hit your target on on two false casts, and that was I think helpful. And just that mindset of, you know, you got to being accurate is more important than distance or those other things. Because and, and that was helpful to us. Although I still screwed up my very first uh, set for three weeks. I've been you know you have to use a strip set on a bonefish, strip set on a bonefish. First cast, strip set on a bonefish. He, I had him, had him bump, and I lifted my rod right up like a good trout fisherman would do, and lost him. <laughs> so, anyway, it's muscle memory, it's already overcome. Totally, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that was great. Um, I think you touched on this a little bit, Dave and Scott. But what species were you mainly targeting while at Turnip? It's a really great multi-species location, which I really like, especially for first-time or, you know, early saltwater careers. Uh, bonefish permit tarpon are going to be the primaries. Um, you know, the, the bonefish was kind of as easy as you wanted to make it or as challenging as you wanted to make it. There was definitely some schools of bonefish that you could go target. Um, and, again, you could go have 20, 30 fish days. Um, or you could uh, walk, the <clears throat> walk the flat, and those fish were in shallower water, so a little spookier, um, a lighter fly, a longer leader, you know, all those variables. Um, and then some of the singles and doubles were some bigger fish, too. Yeah. I know that there was a couple of six- and seven-pound fish that were caught for the week, and I know that there's 10, 12-pound bonefish that have been caught out on turnips. So there is some big fish opportunities for, for bonefish, but I think it's a, you know, the Belize and, you know, that Mexico and Belize is kind of known for this, like, 15-inch to maybe 20-inch, you know, up to four or five Turnip is a great multi-species location. The permit um, fishing, which you spent a lot of time on, Dave, uh, you spent like three full days um, on that and finally did get your permit. But that is one of those species of a lifetime. I mean, I spent my first, I probably spent 25 days on the flat before I touched my first Um, had a, in, recently I've had a couple good trips in Cuba and a couple other ones that I was able to get some permit, but for you being a first time angler, saltwater angler, to go down and have the opportunity of, at a permit and be able to land one, um, is, uh, I mean, pretty, pretty unique. Even, I mean, it's addictive. Once, because we're throwing a big permit and, you know, it's the hunt. It's like the hunt. Very frustrating because you make a shot where you want it to be and you're stripping and it follows it for 15 feet and then something isn't right and they turn and and leave. And so, but you're, you know, you like that uh, adrenaline rush that you get and you have to have all things, it appears anyway, all, all things going aligned to, to get one, you know, that you can land. So, yeah, I mean, that one day that we fished together for permit, I mean, I bet we saw 40 permit. Yeah. And I bet we had a legitimate, between the two of us, 15, what I would call shots. Yeah. Um, and of those 15 shots, I'd say that maybe four or five of them were really legit, where the fish was committed to the fly, and it just, for whatever reason, it just didn't come together. But man, it was all, that's what it's about, and that's how you wake up the next morning and go, yeah, I want to go permit fishing tomorrow. You know, Even though I did it all day yesterday, 
<laughs> got up yeah. earlier than normal, stayed out later, and, it, and it's just, it's addictive. Yeah. Um, How did it yeah. feel to get it, though? It was awesome, because the last day, it's a little bit earlier that they want you to come in, because the guides go back home and visit their families. And, you know, I didn't notice three days straight, and finally, with the last day, it slowed down, because you had to change the, in the uh, weather system. So we moved out to some places we hadn't fished before, and you're supposed to close at 3. You're supposed to be back at the lodge at 3. And there was some carpet that we were kind of working on, and I caught it at 2.58. <laughs> so it was kind of, you know, at the, at the bell. At and the bell. Although this guy, he was so into, you know, my wife, Cece, and I having a good experience. I'm not sure that he would have just said, take the boat home, I'm going to stay out a couple more hours because he really he worked hard to for me to get a permit and that was that was really neat yeah that's awesome how big of a fish was it i think it's probably a 10 pound yeah 10 pound 10 10 pound. it wasn't okay. it wasn't like we'd seen before but we'd switched out of the lagoon to the to the reef side just they were the lagoon places where where we'd seen 40 fish the two days before those so fish were, were averaging like more like fifteen to thirty pounds. Yeah. Those big yeah. lagoon fish that we yeah. were throwing at. Yeah, they and were. those are hard stalkers, man. There was yeah, yeah. That was pretty fun. That's yeah. They're in deeper water and you still see a a fin or tail out of the water when they're just cruising. That's a big fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the tarpon, I mean, the, you know, the turnip doesn't have baby tarpon because it's off of the mainland, and the baby tarpon need the brackish water and that fresh water. Um, uh, the mainland right there around Blue City and stuff has got some ba good baby tarpon fishing. but So it's mainly juvenile and migratory. So juvenile, they would consider to be like 30 to maybe 90 pounds, maybe 70 pounds. And then the migratory fish are going to be those kind of 80 on up. Um, and... We were there in what mid-April-ish, and um, they were definitely not expecting to see very many migratory tarpon for the week that we were there. Mid-May to mid-July is definitely more known to have those those migratory fish there. But um, but yeah, we got a couple of them. You broke one off, a big one off. Yeah. Um, I landed an absolute fish of a lifetime at 185 pounds and then landed another one later in the week that was like 90 to 100 is what the guide said. Um, and honestly, we weren't really even focused on tarpon. It was like a, a big cloud would roll in. We'd be permit fishing or whatever. A big cloud would roll in and the guide would say, you know what, the light or the conditions aren't quite right. Let's pull off of this permit flat. Let's go make a couple casts at tarpon and let's go see what happens, you know. Um, and both both of my tarpon were basically landed that way, where we were we were fishing for another species of fish. The conditions changed, and it was like, boy, let's let's make a, an adjustment. And we went out, made some blind casts, and, and landed some big fish. And that's what was so neat is that, you know, when you're looking for a permit, and then all of a sudden you see a tarpon. Well, we'll, we'll just move over a couple hundred yards over here, and and you know, see if we can get them to roll again, and maybe get one on it. That's exactly what happened. So I wasn't thinking that we would have the big migratories there. And probably gear-wise, you know, we, we rented a rod from the, from the <clears throat> a resort. Yeah, we weren't ready for those yeah. fish because they had said they're not really going to be around yet. 
and um, holy moly, you know, it's so that was for me. I mean, the the thing that seeing those big fish and you know when Scott <clears throat> let me, hooked him to this monster, it was so much bigger than I ever expected to see a fish come up on fly, and it, it was just bizarre. And the the thing that I remember the most, the first, you know, how hard he set it, just. You know, giving it full hand and, and like even how you strip, you know, you kind of strip with two fingers on most fish. And, and he said, You use your full hand. Yeah, you and grip the line you grip as you're line. stripping, you grip the line with your whole hand and like a fist closed. Don't strip it with your fingers. Close your hand and strip for tarpon. And so that when you get that bite, you can, you have a good grip on the line to be able to set the hook. And yeah, and he gave it to it. And, and then, you know, it was probably. 10 seconds before he came out of the water and his tail was you know three four feet out of the water and he was going straight up there was no angle on it just straight like howling at the moon and you know the thing's six feet long so it, it just looked like a rocket coming out of the off a submarine or something it was bizarre it was crazy yeah. it really was it was uh and you know i mean he was closer to the boat than um than I would have thought too by the time he took it. I mean, I had only made a couple of blind casts and I was stripping it back in and I was at least halfway back to the boat. So say I made a, you know, 80 foot cast, I mean, and was stripping it back in. That fish was 30 or 40 feet away from the boat. When a, a six foot, 185 pound fish launches four feet out of the water, 30 feet away from a 16 foot boat, you go, holy cow, man. And the sound they make, you you yeah. obviously hear it breathe, and then it sounds like a, a lab coming out of the water and flapping his ears. Just that. Yeah. The gills, the gills. when he was shaking his head on that first jump, especially that that sound, that moment is gonna stay with me forever. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how fishing becomes like, and hunting is the same way for me, where it becomes like part of your soul almost. You could you could certain fish and certain experiences. You could pinpoint exactly where you were, exactly what fly you were using, what the conditions were, who you were with, and exactly what happened. And there's these noises and sounds and smells and things like that that stay with you forever. And I don't know how to describe it other than it just becomes a, a part of who you are. And that big fish will be that for me forever. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's never going see, away. See, it'll be with me forever. I mean, <laughs> also, you know, you see, because kind of when I went there, I said, I don't want to catch a fish. I don't want to bite a fish for four hours. You know, let's, I'd rather keep throwing at other things and have more action. But, so when he got this thing on, I was like, I want to catch one of those two. Because <laughs> it was, it was so, I mean, it is one of those things you just go, I sent the photo to my, to my kids back home and they all thought it was Photoshop. And you actually, you look at it and it still does look Photoshop. It it's just so big and so bright. You know, it almost looks like a bad Photoshop. Yeah. Because, you know, they're so beautiful. But how hard it was, you know, how hard you worked to put the beef to that thing. So it was an hour 20, you know, until we got it up to the boat where we could get out. And the guy at Doves was awesome. And he's, you know, we were asking about that before. And so he gave really good coaching. He said, you know, you want to you wanna get them in. It's hard on the fish if you have a four-hour flat fight and people are worried about breaking it. And but he really, you know, 
encourage it. And, you know, Scott's an awesome fisherman, so pretty easy for him to follow, you know, coaching well and brought down and all of those things. And it just made it a, a easier fight in land. But still, I mean, you were totally physically exhausted. Oh, yeah. I was done. By the time, yeah, I mean, adrenaline was just pumping, too, by the time... <laughs> You know, actually, we landed the fish, you know, and got up on the flat, and I'm like, how am I going to hold or even attempt to pick this thing up out of the water, you know? Um, but, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience, and, you know, it's funny because for me, just even trying to process, I mean, I spent the next day and a half just, I didn't fish. I didn't, I don't think I made a cast for a day and a half after that fish because, I was, I really wanted to try and process what I just had experienced. I mean, it's literally the chance of a lifetime. It's a fish of a lifetime. And I didn't want to go, you know, try and catch another fish for a couple of days. Uh, not because I was tired or because I knew that I couldn't catch a bigger fish. It was just that I wanted to make sure that I took the time to properly process that fish. Uh, when we, when he was making the lunch orders for the next day, that, that, the, the the, that evening, the, the guy comes out and says, what do you want for lunch? And I tell him what I want. He says, so what do you want to drink? And I said, maybe 10 or 12 beers. Oh. <laughs> I said, and they packed a whole other cooler with 12 Belicans in it for you and I for that next day. And I sat in the boat and, and drank Belicans and smoked cigars as you were permit fishing. And I was happy as a clam. Just, But I was trying to just process and recall and remember all of the elements of, of that interaction with that fish because I mean that's a 70 to 100 year old fish that I'm only gonna ever interact with something like that you know once in a lifetime um, and it, it was it was an amazing amazing experience that's for sure the problem you're gonna have is you set the bar high for yourself at a, at a young age because later on in that week when you caught the 90-pound tarpon, yeah. he was in the pool, and Cece and I came back, and how'd you do? I said, uh, just just a little just a little one. It's a 90- or 100-pound tarpon. He's like, oh, it's just a small one. Jaded. <laughs> I think that's the other amazing thing about this sport. You know, I mean, I grew up fly fishing. I was lucky enough with my great-uncle and my grandfather and my dad, um, and to still have this sport being producing that level of experience and memory in my life um, is amazing to me. You know, that's one of the coolest parts about this sport is um, that there's this extension that just keeps going, whether it's trout fishing or fly tying or, you know, you get into this saltwater thing and there's, it just keeps going and going and going. And it's a, a truly a lifetime sport, which is super unique, but uh awesome uh you know there's just a couple other things i like to touch on as far as what type of gear you were using uh, maybe if you had anything else to say about the lodge and um, turnip in general as far as like their food and amenities while you were there um, or anything that really stuck out from the trip it'd be great to talk about you know maybe the gear used for bonefish and then permit and then tarpon especially rod weight and um, that kind of thing so so the one that, um, for bonefish, Cece and I, we had a Sage and uh, a Winston. And the Winston was awesome for her. Uh, just a easy, easier to load, easier to cast. It was an eight weight. And she did super well with that. And 
I was really happy with with that. And also, you know, fishing for trout, we use a we have hatch reels, and your your usefulness of your reel, whether you need you know such a high quality reel on a on a trout is somewhat debatable. It's more of a personal preference for me. When you when you have the on saltwater, it's it's the it's the main part of your your battle. And I mean, watching Scott land this 185 pound tarpon, I was just amazed at that reel. That you know that is the the the, the boy that's doing the work on that. Yeah. And rod too, but it is um, it's impressive. So I think the key to that um, eight weight Winston that CC was throwing was that quick shooter bonefish line. Mm. Rio makes a <clears throat> makes a quick shooter, um, and it's a two bump, and it's a little bit shorter head. That means that it basically is a nine and a half or ten weight line mm -hmm. that they market and sell as an eight weight line, and it's a little bit shorter head for the, so for those that um, you know their average cast are 35, 40 feet with a trout rod, and being able to take a fast action saltwater rod and still be able to feel the load of the rod. Um, and be able to really shoot it out there on your rod, your seven weight sage that you were throwing. You had a traditional bonefish line, and that has a, a true matched grain weight and a little bit longer, or quite a bit longer weight forward head to it because you're you're more experienced at hovering and casting more line. So you know, equipment wise, I think it is important for somebody you know to know your skill level and know what you're looking to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that was one of the advantages to CC throwing that, that Winston. Um, yeah, the other rods and equipment we had down there were kind of 10s and 12s. Um, I would say an 8, 10, and a 12 are the three primary saltwater rods in just about any location that you're going to go. Um, eight weights primary bonefish. Um, your ten weights going to be your permit rod, mm -hmm. um, and then you know twelve weights going to be big cuda or tarpon or something along those lines. Um, like you say, the reel is important. I had some nautilus reels and some hatch reels on this trip, um, and a true sealed disc drag system um, is super important. That big tarpon that I landed, I couldn't. I had the hatch eleven plus on on a twelve weight um, two handed sage um, rod, and I was putting the beef to that thing for an hour and a half. I mean, to the breaking point of all of the equipment for an hour and a half, because I wanted to land that fish in a reasonable time frame. The last thing I wanted to do was kill that big, beautiful animal, you know? Um, and when we got done with that fight, and I think I even handed you the reel and said, feel this drag on here. Yeah. And it was, if you take a brand new hatch out of the case and you crank an 11 plus all the way down so that you could barely move that drag standing at the reel counter in a fly shop, that's the way that thing was for that amount of time. That's um, awesome. It was, it was. The line on that 12 weight was actually a full intermediate line because a lot of the big um, migratory fishing was being done kind of blind casting in the channels. We would see the fish roll and we would know that they're in the area and then we'd you know, go over there, drop down anchor, make 12 or 10 or 12 casts per person and then we'd move um, and we'd bounce around in the channel. So for that location, I think a full sinking intermediate, um, definitely having some tarpon leaders. 
that maybe went to 80 pound. Um, the one you broke off was on 60 pound bite. 60, 40, 60, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what you got yours on too. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. So, 60, it goes from a 60 pound to a 40 pound and then back up to a 60 pound. And that's that bite uh, tippet is because the tarpon have such rough mouths that yeah. um, they want a little bit more protection in there. Um, but the 40 is there so that you have a breaking a breaking area. Um, well, even that, when we change the, the uh, tippet off, you know, it's it's flattened. His was flattened. So I don't know, you know how much longer. And, and probably in 80, for the, we didn't think we were going to have such big fish. Yeah. So otherwise, you know, we would have would have been a bit uh, heavier on that bite leader, but it was flattened. Yeah, it, it yeah. Of, I think it's just from rubbing back and forth on his on his teeth. You know, his teeth are more like a really heavy grit sandpaper, and that's why they want that sixty or eighty bite. It's not like wire because tarpon won't take if it's on wire. Uh, which you would need for CUDA or, or Sierra mackerel or something along those lines. Um, but, yeah, I think 80 would have been better for that location, just knowing that there's a chance of those big migratory fish. Right, and um, if you're into the, the residential ones, yeah, that's 60 is perfect. But, like I said, I didn't think there were fish that big to begin with, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, the other thing, I mean, on, um, well, leader-wise, uh, we were using 12-pound fluorocarbon primarily for yeah. bonefish. Yeah. So we were using a 10-foot fluorocarbon leader and then a little bit of, usually 18, 20 inches of fluorocarbon tippet, um, all of it 12-pound. For permit, he was mainly using 16. 16. Um, I think at one point, he, we switched over and went to 20 on my rod at one point, but... Um, uh, and fluorocarbon tippet in possibly the entire leader on those bonefish and permit, I think, is a, is a pretty good necessity there. Um, flats boots, uh, definitely there's some coral around there. And if you are going to do some wading, most of that happened on the reef side, uh -huh. which was a pretty corally bottom and a, a true flats boot would, would be a necessity if you're going to do a lot of wading. Um, but other than that, uh, the nice part. I love those ones, the, the, uh, the new essentials. Yeah, that's the new um, intruder boot. Yeah, salt, the intruder salt boot. And yeah, uh, they didn't have that in my size. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise, super comfortable, sturdy, still light, you know, so you're not exhausted like if you were in something else. They were nice. I liked them. Yeah, and then the other major thing for any saltwater trip is just sun protection. I mean, you just have to be aware of sun protection the whole time you're on the water. Um, those black strap sun masks I thought were great. Um, you could still breathe through them. The new one has four stretch, uh, so it's it's uh, has more breathability. It's more comfortable for me. Um, it fit a little better around my head. Um, you know, sun gloves and full sun protection the whole time. Um, 
one of the things a lot of people don't think about is um, fishing barefoot if and when you can. Um, definitely up on these flat boats, you got all your fly line, you strip out all this line and you get, you're sitting there holding your fly waiting for your shot and you want to be able to feel that line underneath your feet. And also, if you're wearing flip-flops or shoes, a lot of times you can just scuff your feet, make a little bit of noise on that boat and that'll spook, you know, a permit especially. Um, so... I, a lot of times, will wear socks, um, and that's just to have that sun protection also um, on, on the top of your feet, because there's nothing worse than burning the top of your feet on one of the first days of a, of a week-long trip. That's, that sucks. Um, so the nice part about Turniff is that they had all that equipment. Okay. They did, you could rent all of that equipment, including the flats boots. Not the sun protection stuff, but the flat, you, they had flats boots from sizes 5 all the way up to sizes 15 that you could rent for the day. Um, they had rods and reels and, and everything lined up ready to go. They had a little fly shop there with a couple like custom flies that one of the guys was tying. So they did have a very well organized, I thought, you know, system for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about your tarpon shirt? <laughs> so, so uh, the, I told the guy that I was going to go for big fish because CC was going to snorkel. So Scott, I thought that would be fun. And jumped over on on my boat with me, and so he shows up the next morning. He's got this this shirt that is it's tarpon. It's got the the big scales on it and everything. It's a sun shirt. It was. It was just fitting for what happened that day. Yeah. That's a good luck shirt. You hey, that yeah, totally. Well, I had my good luck fly, too, but yeah. you, you donated that one to a big tarpon, so that's good. <laughs> uh, that that fly was the exact same fly that I caught the big uh, a big GT on in Christmas Island a couple of years ago. Not, not a similar pattern, but the exact same fly. Caught a big GT on in Christmas Island and then that big tarpon on. Uh, but I left it on your rod so that you could... <laughs> you could hook one and that was that uh ep that uh Piglucci's, that was an adop peanut butter and purple and black um the the other one that i the other tarpon that i caught was on they called it i think a bush fly but that was also an adop ep um and that was like a gray bottom and, a, and an olive colored top um and, uh, but a lot of those pig Lucy flies really, really make a lot of sense in solar stuff, whether it's the crab or whether it's their shrimp or whether it's, uh, these peanut butter style flies, um, make a lot of sense. Yeah. The material dries off fast. When you pick it up, you make one or two false casts and it's like 90% um, dry so that, um, the, the material just wicks the water when it's in the air. So you could have a big eight off fly and it's it's pretty lightweight once it's up and aerialized. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I don't know. The lodge, I thought, again, I would go back there tomorrow. Um, and I would take anybody there. And for me to say that about, um, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to 
kind of been to a lot of fly fishing lodges around the world. Um, and uh, that would be one of my favorites as far as their ability to cater to anybody. Um, the fishing was good, but their attention to detail um, was, was awesome. Um, we had some gals that had some pretty good dietary concerns, CC uh -huh. being one of them. They were awesome. And uh, their attention to detail on that stuff was, uh, was amazing. Uh, food was great. Um, lunches were great. Water was uh, drinkable. Uh, you know, a lot of locations in Mexico and in other third world countries, you have to be really smart about the water. Um, but, you know, they, they've got such a controlled environment out there at Turniff. Um, they've got great filtration systems and everything else. Um, I thought that was great. Yeah. I like the way they handled the water, too. It was, you know, rather than a bunch of pet bottles, it was, you know, the big tubs that you, or containers that you take out and fill individual glasses. And I think that's a that's a nice mark to the environment and stuff. They're, yeah. they're concerned about that. Want to push pause? Oh, okay. Uh, that's all I really had. We're at 36 minutes now, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, but down to 10. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm probably just going to use all the audio. Okay. And just do like a podcast. Because cool. I think it'd be way cooler. Because normally, if you guys want to say anything else, just no. shut us up. All right, I'm good. You good? Um, oh, I think one, one thing also. Just saying, you know, what highlights are fishing. But I, I really enjoyed having a group. And, you know, with meeting and getting to know other couples, other other friends better, and that was fun. Yeah. That was a, fun, a good part about it. You know, I think if you were, if you were solo amigo, it'd be a different experience than, than what we had. Yeah. It was really nice. Oh, we had a great group. Um, yeah, everybody got along great. Every meal we sat down together and told story, and whether it was, you know, after dinner, got to sit around and talk about life a little bit and have a cocktail and uh yeah that's what it's all about yeah, absolutely and yeah when you go on these trips trying to find the right group um right. is is a pretty major part of it right. it was that that aspect was something i didn't really expect as much but i really enjoyed the the other couples that were on our on our in our group yeah the other people at the lodge again all they're they're into the the sport and whether that's snorkeling or scuba or or fly fishing, and just interesting, nice people. So that was a highlight as well. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you for tuning into this podcast from Fine Field Outfitters. Please subscribe to our page for updates on new podcasts that we release, and stay tuned for more coming throughout the summer. Thanks a lot.